Jesus lives and he does all these miracles. He rises from Galilee, Nazareth, and then he goes to Galilee to the most remote places. But he goes through all of those places, ends up in Caesarea Philippi, and he's talking with his disciples, and he says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? He's purposely now wanting to get them to identify who he is. And he says to them, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are Christ, son of the living God, right? And Jesus says, it, it was a man that revealed that to you. It was the Holy Spirit. Right in that moment, what Jesus was saying is, there will be some who won't believe what you're saying. But because you made that statement, the Holy Spirit revealed it to you, you are my church. And everyone who believes and comes to that conclusion that Jesus was Christ, Son of the living God, becomes the foundation of the church. We are back. The mics are working. We are back. And we are here to do a little bit of Q&A um, Yeah, today. that's always good. I posted a video that got a lot of um, interesting comments from all different angles. There was, you know, that the topic was about gentleness and how, you know, Christians should act, act as, you know, ambassadors of heaven. And it brought up all these random debates that I wasn't thinking what happened. I had black Hebrew Israelites that were questioning me. I had Muslims that were asking if the like talking about the resurrection and Jesus never claimed to be God. Then I had people just said, well, we're just called to be Christian soldiers to just take the world by violence. And so which is a, which was actually when you think about it, in the days of Jesus, that was the Jewish response to the Roman Empire. Hmm. It was, let's take it by force, and there yeah. was a number of zealots that would really go about that that path. Before, though, we get into all that, I have an, uh, a question off yeah. the cuff that I want to ask you. I want to ask you your most embarrassing ministry moment. My most embarrassed? I have a lot of them. And man, <laughs> that's not something you prep me with, my most nope. <laughs> embarrassing ministry moment. Man, that's a good one. I mean, there are many times, There, there was one time where um I was preaching and and I was trying to make a point and and on Sunday mornings when I would go into the church it would be dark out yeah and I would be I would drive you know back roads from my house to the church we were at Michigan and I would often think I'd see lights on in their house and I would pray for people with their lights on in their house and and uh, and I would wonder what they're doing on Sundays and I'd pray that they would end up in a church somewhere yeah and and so when I got up there, I said, I often, driving to church on Sunday mornings, look into people's houses, <laughs> and, and then they, it, I had to end the sermon within five minutes, because people, and I said, well, I'm not a peeping Tom or anything, and, <laughs> and everybody lost it. It was pretty funny in the moment, and literally had to end the sermon about five minutes later, because people, even the lead pastor I was with was almost on the floor laughing just by how I was trying to dig myself out of it, and it got worse. And and then there was another moment while I was preaching. Well, there's a couple, but another one where I was giving three points, and I counted from my—I put my three fingers up, and I counted from my pointy finger down— and then my next finger, and then my ring finger is the only, or my middle finger is the only <laughs> one up. And and for about three minutes, I'm flipping everybody out, holding it up, and not doing the third, and didn't even realize I was flipping everybody else as I was. And and then the the the, the worst of them all was, um, I was giving using the text where you need to count the cost for something yeah. before you build it, mm -hmm. and there was a house in our neighborhood that. It had been framed up, and then it just sat there for six months, eight months, nine months, a year, a year and a half, and nothing was being done. It was just framed. Mm -hmm. And I said, the person who built that house didn't ca count the cost. And and I noticed one of the guys in the second row was kind of smiling, like almost chuckling, smiling, but not chuckling. But I, so I didn't understand what he was saying because it was pretty good. If you lived in that area, you knew what house I was talking about. It was it was obvious, and and eventually they had to tear it down. And that's what I said because they didn't have to count the cost because it had been open and framed for so long. They had to tear the whole thing down. Little did I know the person who was the owner of that house and did the building 
was sitting in the fourth row (laughs) of the church. And to that man's credit, he, he actually told someone else later, I knew he didn't know who I was, so he recognized I wasn't pointing him out. But it had been. It was his first Sunday no there. No way. He shows up, and I give his house as an illustration. And then he said it was like God spoke to him because hmm. I, I, because I didn't know who he was, and I specific, But talk about embarrassing. I'm like, shut like, up. Oh, Are I'm you singling this guy out? out? <laughs> Don't you, even know who he is. You know my favorite. I just thought of this as you were talking. Um, I don't even. So you were at. I don't remember what message it was. But I remember it was at the Apple Valley campus, and we were on the Haunted series. And so you're reading an article from this witch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so she, she has some choice language, but she doesn't – it's not obviously yeah. included in this, like, excerpt of yeah. wherever you found it from. And uh, you didn't know the acronym – for AF. And so, which if you guys don't know what that is, it's as, you know, the F word is what it means. Like that is, that's sketchy AF, like as, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. And so he's reading this and it's a serious moment because he's reading from like a a witch that talks about the agenda uh, of, you know, the occult towards Christianity. And so it's like, it's pretty heavy. And so he's reading this, and it's supposed to strike a chord with everybody in the room, but he keeps saying AF as he's reading this this uh, excerpt from The Witch, and people start losing and it, laughing, like giggling. Yeah. And he looks up, and he goes, you know, what, what did you this say? This isn't funny. <laughs> this is a very serious thing. I had no idea that's what it meant. He, he brings it back, and it's, <laughs> it was so – I was like, oh. And, and, I think, then, and, then they, and then they come back and say, well, we're sorry for laughing. They understood, but I couldn't figure out why they're laughing because this is pretty serious. Yeah, and I think it was my bad too because I realized now that Heather told me because I didn't notice it the first time because that was the day we were, I was traveling with you because mm-hmm. we had a kid, you know, come right, up and give a right. testimony about he used to be in the occult. And so I was supposed to tell you, but then I forgot. And then at Apple Valley, that was the second like service yeah, or yeah. whatever we went to or the third. And Heather had told me to tell you. And then as soon as you said it on stage and people started laughing, I'm like, oh, I was supposed what? to tell. <laughs> Uh, like, oh, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. And nobody in Farmington or Richfield laughed because yeah. I don't think anybody probably even I think they're a little too, it. yeah, they did yeah. it. It wasn't the the younger crowd. The younger crowd got it. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> it's hilarious. But they got it real good. Yeah, real good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely made sense to them. But yeah, so today we're going to be uh, really diving into these commonly. Like I have a note literally given from... That I, that I have of people that have asked me questions or when I'm evangelizing online in the morning on TikTok yeah. or when we post videos and I see comments, I'll write down like the common misconceptions and later I want to make like videos on them. Right. And so I try to hit those points that people are asking. So I figured uh, why not uh, rapid fire with our lead pastor and talk about some of these commonly asked questions or misconceptions to kind of generate a conversation. And then you guys are sitting in on this, then you then you feel equipped to uh, provide an answer because these questions, like the people, the questions people ask, you realize when you do it enough, do it enough that they're nothing new. Yeah. And when you 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 yeah. start to realize that the questions that they're giving are not even genuine questions that they honestly have. It's just a uh, uh, it's to tear down what you believe or to poke holes rather than, you know, genuine questions or... I think a lot of questions they ask are intended to push you away. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it, Mm -hmm. so they try to give you a question that shuts you down because if you can't answer the question, then you just pull back because I'm afraid. And that's what holds a lot of believers back. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Exactly. Um, and, And really... You have to trust the Holy Spirit. It's like living without, like we know we have the Holy Spirit, but a lot of Christians live as though he's not there mm-hmm. or that he's there, but he doesn't equip us to be able to answer the questions in the moment we need the answer. Yeah. And and as believers, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we have to recognize that we are equipped already. Yeah. Um, we, we have that the Holy Spirit in us that's going to give us the answer to a lot of questions in that moment mm-hmm. and and not to freak out about it, but just to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Mm-hmm. I need the answer. That 
I, and that's where a lot of wisdom comes from. Um, a lot of Christians don't have answers to questions because they never put themselves in a situation where they need the Holy Spirit to come through to teach them yeah. things. And when you do that, I can, from experience, will be sitting in a counseling session or in a moment where somebody where you're you're in that moment and they ask you a question and before that moment don't have an answer to it. But as you sit and listen to the question and then allow your mind to just what the Holy Spirit drops answers, direction into your Mm -hmm. mind, and you're being taught, and the answer is flowing not from you, but through you, Mm -hmm. from the Holy Spirit through you to that person. And I think a lot of us expect that it needs to come from us rather than through us. I was telling uh, my group last night, and it was funny because when I said it, I didn't even realize I said it, but it's genuine like how I think. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm when I'm on TikTok in the mornings and I'm, I'm doing this and I'm conversing with people, there'll be things that'll come to my brain and I'm like, where did that come from? And I'll literally, I'll have to stop and I'll write it down because I'm like, I will forget this as soon yeah. as we, we're done because it didn't, it wasn't like, oh, Alex is super smart. It's just like, as you do it and for your heart for lost people, God will like bring like aha moments and revelations where you're like, oh, that's a really good, like I never thought about it like that. And I told him, I was like, Guys, like I had this really good argument. You should steal this uh, because it really like provoked like thinking in those that didn't believe in the evidence for Jesus. That, and they said they're like, I told them, I'm like, I'm gonna steal. I like, I, I had the idea, and I'm like, I'm gonna steal that. And then my buddy was like, You're gonna steal that? That you like come up with that idea? And in my mind, I'm like, Well, the Holy Spirit just downloads and gives you answers and helps and gives you wisdom right. as you're. You know. Well, and and the reality is, you're only going to grow to a certain point. Yeah, and and then the how the Holy Spirit almost sets it up. You have to start become a preacher of the gospel. Yeah, you have to become a builder in the mm-hmm. kingdom of God. And when you do that, it's from that point you grow to another level. Yeah, you have to you you can only grow so much until you start giving mm-hmm. and being generous with what God's mm-hmm. put in you that God then flows through you. And mm-hmm. that's where I think a lot of Christians are stunted in their growth mm. is they're, too, they're, they're hindered by fear mm. rather than moved by faith True. to be able to step into situations that are going to require faith and trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Yeah. And when he does, you grow, you just start to explode. And it's not like, I think people think that it's an equation or that you got to solve for God or... And when people ask you questions, it's some spelling bee or, you know, like it's, that's not how it is. Like you're, you're conversating with someone and sometimes it's not even answering their question that really gets to their heart. For example, um, one, it's your testimony too. So if that's, if it's anything, you can claim basically ignorance and then go figure out the question that you couldn't answer in the moment later mm-hmm. and say, Hey, honestly, I don't have an answer, but this is what happened to me. Because if anything, you have a testimony and what you encountered and you want them to experience the same, but there's a story about, and we've talked about this before, but there was a Satanist. This dude is in the higher ranks of the occult and, uh, he was at some conference and there was a, a Christian woman in the crowd that he found out later. So the whole conference or, or his speaking engagement, he was berating Christianity and just tearing them down and people down and and pushing his his beliefs and and so after this lady comes up to him and I don't when he's he's telling this story, so I'm hearing it from him, and he's saying, you know, I, I can't remember if he said she said anything, but she comes up to him. And just gives him a big hug. And he starts to weep, like breaks down. And it was the Holy Spirit, like this love. He's like, he said, I don't even, it wasn't necessarily like, it it was something different. It wasn't just like a hug, but it was like this love that I'd never encountered before. And you know, that was the reason he became a Christ follower. Yeah. A hug. It's not the, it's, I think a lot of believers underestimate the importance of a divine partnership. Exactly. When you say something on your own, like everyone is like, oh, I want to learn an argument. I want to learn how to confront Mm -hmm. this. Tell me how to do it. That's good. We could give you all of the things, questions, all the things you do, but you have to have a divine partnership. Mm -hmm. Life is not an argument. Mm -hmm. Life is a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Truth is a person. The way is a person. Life is a person. And if you're going to give life, you're not giving just an answer to an argument or giving a strong argument. You're giving life with mm. it. Christ, everything Christ does, he does with us. Mm. And that's why he inhabits us. He inhabits our praises. He, if, again and again, you look in scriptures, God, we all want God to be sovereign and just do it on his own. And God says, but that's not the economy of the kingdom of God. The way he designed creation was to interact and do it with us. Hmm. When Jesus was sent to earth, when his son was sent to earth, he was put into a human body so that he could do it, literally. And what did Jesus do? He did it ministry with people. It was always in relationship that Jesus does things. How are we saved? We come into relationship with him. Relationship is the catalyst for everything that God wants to do. And when we do ministry, it's in relationship with life. So then that woman gave the hug. She did her part in hugging. The Holy Spirit did his part in releasing life through her. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to recognize that I don't need the argument, if God has put me in that conversation in that moment, he will either give me the answer or give me the response or the activity I have to do to minister to that person in that moment. And so you have you have a lot of stories like on this. So this is not you just talking out of your butt because I've heard tons of stories of this happening. And where... usually I don't talk out of my butt. It's usually out of my mouth. <laughs> well, but... <laughs> for people that don't know you that are listening to this, that, oh, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. Yeah, go into an argument without being like prepared. And it's not, and this is the thing. I'm not saying don't be educated, don't do your due diligence and later do your research, but I am saying don't neglect the power of the Holy Spirit that will lead you into wisdom. And if you never give him a chance, like don't don't expect him to operate because you want to have the steering wheel, but you have well, uh, and, and I think it's and I think and we'll put a yeah. pin right where you're at. I think you said uh preparation mm-hmm. and you expressed how it's important, especially in the word of God. Like yeah. it's we call it the Bible. Mm-hmm. But these are scriptures that Jesus used when speaking to people in his day. The Old Mm -hmm. Testament scriptures Jesus used when speaking into people. Um, When you read the word, Mm -hmm. it it, it goes into you. You're putting it into your mind. Even though you may not remember all of what you've read, the Holy Spirit can bring those back to your mind. So if there was a way to prepare for every moment in season and out of season, the scripture says, it's knowing the word of God. It's, It's consuming the word of God. So it's in you and um and and then it comes out of you and it doesn't have to come out of you verse by verse like a quote like everybody thinks well i got to quote the scripture in order for it to be powerful it doesn't need to come out remember the like the english bible is a translation of the original text Mm -hmm. technically we're not even quoting the scripture exactly how it was written yeah but but the the concepts and the thought of what that scripture brings as you chew on it and you can go and sure if you memorize it and you know what it is you can bring it up and talk about it but i think consuming the word meditating on the word prepares you in the way you need to be prepared so do you have um a story just for an example before we get into answering these questions so like to preface before we get into, hey, here's some good arguments and good things. Don't want to bolster your faith, but also have an answer to some of these common misconceptions. I want you to give an example of where you went into, you know, a situation where it wasn't necessarily your own wisdom, but it was the Holy Spirit telling you to say this or do this, and that was a transforming time in that person you were ministering to. Well. There, it, a lot of stuff has happened in marriage counseling when, yeah. when people say you just, and they'll respond, you got incredible wisdom when I'm yeah. in my 20s. Yeah. Well, that's not earned yeah. wisdom and experiences. But, uh, you know, maybe as we go on, I'll think of one right now. I, nothing comes to mind. What about the mind. dress? The, the lady that had been like abused and make sure you don't oh, say yeah, the word because well, I yeah, don't Yeah, yeah, right, but. right. Yeah, the and in fact, she was just here this weekend. Oh, wow. And I was in a marriage counseling session, and the Lord gave me a prophetic word. Now, this there's prophetic words, and this is a prophetic word where we were in the counseling session, and we were talking about sexuality and pre-marriage, premarital counseling. 
And there's nothing more uncomfortable when you're getting married to talk about sex oh, with your pastor. Yeah. That's extremely uncomfortable for a couple yep. that that are virgins, especially, or those who are not. So I recognize that. So I try to make it a laughing thing where we joke. And but when we we're when I was getting ready to pray for them at the end, the Holy Spirit gave me a vision, hmm. and it was a vision of this woman, uh, this little girl in a dress and in full color detail. And I described what I was looking at in full color detail. And as I'm in a vision, I'm not paying attention to the other two. Like, I don't know if they're responding. I'm just, I'm, I'm describing the, what I'm seeing. And when I finish, I look up, she is a, she's, she's crying. And, um, and I realize and she's like that, that was me. And that, how would I know? I wasn't there. That was the Holy Spirit. That, and that has happened numerous times in moments when you're with people, when you're doing ministry. You really cannot minister to people unless the Holy Spirit is, you're, you're aware of your need mm-hmm. and willing to take the, the walk in faith in it anyway. So when you said that, when you described in detail, why, why did that resonate with her? Because it was you, the you actual story. It yeah, was, you it was said, her. So you said like, hey, I'm I seeing- described her life. Yeah, yeah. I described that moment mm-hmm. that had been seared in her memory because she had been sexually abused in that moment. Mm. And um, it, it, she had just been sexually abused, mm. and she had tried to cover it up and hide it. Mm. And most people who go through sexual abuse, you know, 35% of Americans admit to being sexually abused. Mm. We have a sexuality problem in America. Uh, if you've been sexually abused, you're 50% more likely to sexually abuse someone else of, a, of an underage person, or 75% of the time statistically struggle with sex in a relationship with another person wow. when you've been abused as a minor. Hmm. So, the, and there are, and this is how crazy our world is. There's a journal, I was told, there's a journal, an author in a journal that wrote that it's healthy for children to be sexually abused. Or hmm. be, they wouldn't say sexually say, abused, essay. but to be, huh? Essayed. Say Essayed. Yeah. And the reality is we have a problem, but we don't ever talk about it. Mm. There is a problem. If 36% of them have been essayed, <laughs> uh, if 30% if mm. they admit to it, yeah. we already know that way more have been, but yeah. they're not talking about it. They're trying to hide it. They're trying to pretend like it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it has dramatic effect on your 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 intimate relationships going forward. Wow. You, you cannot cover it up. You have... You have to go somewhere and get help. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is a lot of counselors and a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists are great at giving therapy to help. But um, somebody had shared with me at uh, one of our first week services that they had been getting therapy for 12 years and they really liked their therapist. They really do a good job. And I said, really, what about? And they had been sexually abused and she said, or essayed. Mm-hmm. And uh, the therapist said... Um, or the therapist had wa- helped them every week deal with that. And I said, Isn't, aren't they there to help you not have to deal with it anymore? Because all the world can do is give you therapy mm. for things, but God can set you free from mm. it. And sh- that day she was set free from wow. it. And I said, if a therapist can't get you free from it, are they really as good as you think they are? But we've been convinced if you make me feel good for a week, but I got to go back to you and talk through this again. It's why just an answer without the power yes. is yes. just an answer. It may help you for a few days mm-hmm. argue with your problem, yes. but you don't need argument for your problem. You need mm-hmm. to be set free from that way of thinking mm-hmm. completely, mm-hmm. and it's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us through that. And people, when they listen to you say that, because we've had people leave the church because they've they've confused your statement and stance on therapy. Pastor James is not saying therapy's bad or you shouldn't go get counseling or you should just struggle alone or everything. But when you've had like you, when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it is so far beyond human wisdom and and medication and uh, now that's not to say those things are bad. Uh, now, you exercise wisdom and discernment with this, but the Holy Spirit is good at his job, and words are just words, and therapy is just therapy at the end of the day, but one touch from heaven, um, it, it'll, it'll, it, 
what what the Holy Spirit is, it's supernatural. It's not in our natural like order or way of the world and how things ought to happen. And so when the Holy Spirit intervenes, it's an exterior force that enters our world and can do the impossible that wasn't possible for man. And so that's what we're we're talking about. That you going to the altar or you seeking counsel from the Holy Spirit is the best advice that you can get because it's not only words, but it's power. Yeah, the, and when it comes to physical, no one has a problem with you going to doctor and getting those things, yeah. but ultimately you want healing physically exactly. from that thing that takes care of it forever. Mm-hmm. Same is true with the mind. Yeah. You know, and it's in the mind where everything yeah. moves. You know, it's it really more than the physical body, the mind and the way you think is, is uh, it, I think, a premium yeah. of all of it. But mm-hmm. so what are some of these questions that we have? Yeah. First one I think is pretty interesting is because I love the evidence for Jesus Christ. And this is um what Muslims oftentimes will every time ask because they believe that Jesus was just a prophet and yeah. we have corrupted scripture. And even people that that um you know maybe just think Jesus was just a philosopher and and you're not a Muslim, but you just think that it's just been confused uh, that people worship him as a God. But they're like, people oftentimes say, well, why isn't there a gospel of Jesus? Why didn't Jesus write down anything or whatever, right? But nothing came out of his mouth. It was just his followers that corrupted it. Well, this is what Jesus said at his um, at his trial. So when he was brought before Caiaphas, he was arrested, brought before the synagogue to be tried the basis of his trial was what blasphemy right mm-hmm. that was the whole that was the whole issue there yeah. that's why they had beef with him uh, because they they believed that what he was doing was blasphemous and he was leading people away in following him and so when he was standing uh on trial it says in matthew 26 it says and the high priest stood up and said have you no answer to make what is it that these men testify against you What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Uh, Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That statement in and of itself, pretty charged, right? So if people read that and say, when I, when I had given this to Muslims or people that don't believe that Jesus ever claimed to be God, they say, well, did you know that actually son of man just means human being, right? So, okay, let's just say that that's what he was talking about. Why is then the following verse, this is the high priest's response. And the next verse, 65, it says, then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered what? He has uttered blasphemy. Mm-hmm. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserved death. Right? So let's look back. What was Jesus quoting there? The the, the prophecy of Daniel. In Daniel 7.13, you can look back. Jesus knew his scripture, like what we were talking about earlier. So if you follow along, let's look at how like what what Jesus was saying was a callback to the prophecy of Daniel, which says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and the glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. I don't know about you, but I don't think that that just is you know, given to all human beings, if if this is what Jesus was claiming. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus said that, we let's read it again. So this is what Jesus said. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, that the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It was a callback. What he was claiming was divinity of, you know, the fulfilled prophecy of Daniel. Yeah, I mean, the the entirety of the scripture 
points to Jesus being something. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go all the way back to the garden when it says the seed of Eve yep. would be the one that would redeem. The first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam had no sin, Yeah. right? So if you look at the first Adam, he had no sin, but then sin entered the world through Adam. Mm. And life is given to the child through the blood of the man. Yeah. Okay, so the woman says, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of the... Actually, life is given to the child through the blood of the, of the, the, the sperm that goes mm-hmm. into the egg. Life comes through that way, through the man. That's why a child takes the name of the father, because yeah. the life comes through the father. The seed was passed on. If you look at the seed of the Messiah, it goes, it goes to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And from Abraham, it goes to Isaac. And then there's a blessing that was given to the firstborn of each, right? Esau was, and and you can even go back to Abraham. God said the seed isn't coming through Hagar. Hmm. Ishmael isn't getting the seed. So the seed is going to go through Isaac. Well, he was the second born to Abraham. But God had said that's where the seed's going to come through is Sarah. He had already determined it. And then it went through Jacob, and then it goes through the Jewish people, but it goes through this, the, eventually through David. And we see the lineage going through. Well, what's the seed? Well, isn't it interesting that it stops at the days of Jesus? Hmm. That we don't see, you know, the, the line of David beyond Jesus? Hmm. Because the king of Jesus sits on the eternal throne where David was in the middle, like it went to Abraham, to King David, and then King David to Jesus, and now where's the record? Hmm. There's no more record. That seed, what was the blessing that was being passed on from generation to generation? It was the Messiah, Hmm. that the lineage that would save the world, that would redeem the world, was the Messiah. Okay, so put a pin there. That's one, one argument there. Then a woman, whether you believe it or not, Mary and Joseph say, listen, we did not have any relationship which would conceive a child, Mm -hmm. okay? That's why Joseph was going to put her away, because he thought she might be having an affair. But Mary's like, listen, I haven't. And there are witnesses around Mary saying, we know she didn't. This baby, well, how do you have a baby? It's not like a, you know, a sperm can't just jump through your skin and into something, right? You can't you can't do things to get she had to have something that impregnated her. Yeah. And so this is where faith comes in. Is do you believe a very logical scenario where a woman who claimed that she had not done it and now she's pregnant, why would she claim that? Why would she jeopardize her relationship with Joseph? It doesn't logically make sense that this young girl would claim that she was impregnated by God. Who's going to believe that, right? She's making a claim that she knows no one's going to believe this, Mm -hmm. right? This doesn't make sense. And there may have been many other girls that have claimed the same thing, and nobody believed it, right? But this one, for some reason, is recorded for thousands and thousands of years, and people now honor Mary uh, it it if she was a fraud, we wouldn't even know who Mary was. If this was a fraud, we wouldn't. You got to look at the historical context. The fact that it's gone two thousand years and people still put their faith in it, it's a pretty incredible thing in and of itself. But then you got you got John the Baptist's mother and John the Baptist himself, who says this is a man who I'm not fit. Jesus hasn't even done anything yet, yeah. and John the Baptist is already talking about who Jesus would be, right? So now you have a woman who claims that I'm so so okay it's not the son of god you claim but this woman says that the father is the holy spirit that the, and that's where i think uh muslims and other religious people say god would never have a relationship intimate relationship with a woman in order to do that and that's where their mind really starts to go you it's the seed the the life or the sperm that impregnated the egg doesn't have to come through some like this is an Mary having a relation, intimate yeah. relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit impregnated her yeah. with with this, and she has a baby, and that's the life. Jesus was born without 
sin and he had to be. Otherwise, his sacrifice on the cross would have been pointless yeah. because he wouldn't have been a perfect lamb, right? Yeah. So that's that's one part of the argument. I mean, and it's this is full. So then Jesus then lives and he does all these miracles. He he does he he rises from Galilee, Nazareth, and then he goes to Galilee to the most remote places. If he is a somebody, then how is he becoming known where he's at? But he goes through all of those places, ends up in Caesarea Philippi, and he's talking with his disciples, and he says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? He's purposely now wanting to identify, get them to identify who he is, yeah. right? And, and he says to them, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah Moses, you know, all of that. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you are, you are Christ, son of the living God, Right. And Jesus says, it, it was a man that revealed that to you. Yep. It was the Holy Spirit. Right in that moment, what Jesus was saying is, there will be some who won't believe what you're saying. But because you made that statement, the Holy Spirit revealed it to you, you are my church. So what we've done is we built the church on Peter, which is foolish. Peter isn't the foundation of the church. The Holy Spirit's the foundation of the church. What he was saying is, because that's revealed to you, because you see me as... Uh, Jesus, uh, Christ, Son of the Living God, you are the church, and everyone who believes and comes to that conclusion that Jesus was Christ, Son of the Living God, becomes the foundation of the church. Right? And when you be when you believe that, so there are some that are going to have all kinds of arguments about it that he wasn't the Son of God. They're going to have all, but when the Holy Spirit reveals to you that he was Christ, Son of the Living God. Then, then you. This is while Jesus is living. So I get confused when people say Jesus never said he was. Well, he yeah, did in Jesus, that moment. So if, so if if Jesus, so they honor. So Muslims honor Jesus. Right. right? They Greatest man that ever he's lived. One of the most talked about figures in the Quran. This is what one of the guys had told me. So, yeah. Okay. So in that moment, and a lot of them, I've heard, I've come across some that they they don't believe in the gospels and they do that they even believe in pauline scriptures so i don't know Very what the common Very few would agree yeah. with that it's all old testament yeah but some but some take the the gospels they believe mm-hmm. in the gospels but they just believe that paul had twisted the scripture that he had never he had never claimed to be god but the interesting thing what you brought up is if that's true and you take the gospels why doesn't jesus correct peter he didn't correct Peter. He, he didn't. He, he actually says, you are the church. Yeah. And he says, the Father has revealed this to you, that it wasn't going to be by human wisdom. That's what the people That's what people don't understand. And John 2, it even talks about that, that because of the miracles that he performed, that it says many people went away believing in him, but it says Jesus on his part didn't entrust himself to them. Because it wasn't saving faith. The saving faith that he was talking about is what Peter experienced. That it wasn't by the miracles that he had. Mind you, he had Peter had you know been with Jesus from the jump. Mm-hmm. He had seen tons of miracles that Jesus had done. But it wasn't until Caesarea Philippi where the revelation occurred, where the Holy Spirit revealed to him. It wasn't by human knowledge of the miracles that Jesus had done, but it was the light bulb that yeah, you at the, the at God. the time, like for us that believe Jesus was the Son of God, we have yeah. a hard time believing he was human. And we struggle, but that was Jesus. But that was Jesus, we always say. You know, Jesus isn't like us. Mm-hmm. In that day, they had a hard time believing he was God. Exactly. It was flipped. You know, John, who was also a disciple of Jesus, had witnessed all of this, mm-hmm. wrote in First John, uh, he, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Mm. So he's talking about testing the spirit of what you're hearing, and you need to see if it's from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ mm. has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God, this spirit is of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. That spirit is already in the world, not the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist is operating. You, dear friends, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. 
and the world listens to them because they speak from a viewpoint they can understand. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Then he switches. He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. And knows God. So even when we talked about um, your your discussion about uh, how we treat people yeah. that are in the and the idea. ABCs and the militant attitude to art of it, and as Christians, that we need to be people who love people. And the one argument people kept bringing up over and over again is, well, Jesus overturned the tables. First of all, th- that actually is an argument for what we were just saying. Uh, one, Jesus was overturning the tables because of the way the, the people who were doing it were treating uh, the people who were coming in. They were taking advantage of the people that were coming in to worship God. And so he was upset that they were take, turned what was supposed to be a house of community and prayer. A temp, the Temple Mount was supposed to be a place where people could come and be safe and have a safe place to come as they are, experience God, and in that, he could change them, or and they're taking advantage of that moment. Secondly, Jesus never attacked the people at the tables. He attacked the activity at the tables. He said, this is not a den of thieves, or people where, where, where people are being taken advantage of. He wasn't going after that person, very much like we don't go after the liar. I mean, if that were the case then we should attack every person that gave that scripture. Exactly. We want to analyze your life, and then we're going to attack you for what where you're at in your own spirituality, and we're going to come at you and tell you how wrong you are and how bad you are and how you're going to hell because we're going to start listing. You know, there's a scripture that says, before you start trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye, you should really deal with the lumber in your own. And, and, and so this attitude we see in John, John sees it. He yeah. sees this self-righteous attitude of, I'm going to attack people that are in a lifestyle I don't approve of. And, and in no way are we saying that lifestyle is healthy for and any exactly. person, because no. it, is, it isn't. It's not what God's designed. No. But those are the object of God's love. Those people are the object of God's love. And, and so we don't attack them. We, we, we treat them with respect. It's people that don't understand spiritual warfare, that they feel like we are called to be militant, but not against the object of God's love because what, like what we, the, the Kairos teaching, they are prisoners. They don't understand. We battle not, like Paul speaks, right. against flesh and blood. So people that say, well, Jesus flipped the tables, well, we don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against powers and principality that, and the doctrine of demons is right. what we battle against, that we dismantle these wicked ideologies, but we preserve the person that is like you know subject to that That's prison right. cell. We're, we're attacking what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to get. Yeah. So, so think about this. Like, what's the object of attacking the person who struggles with that way of thinking? The, we're attacking the very thing God wants us to redeem. Yeah. Rather than attacking Satan for keeping them prisoner, we're actually coming at the prisoner. Yeah. And trying to attack and destroy the prisoner. And listen, if you want, if your heart, I think we're more, we just don't like people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. And we use this Bible as a way to uh, redeem the the methods we use for people we don't like who think of us. So I got I am holy and just because I'm going to attack the people who don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, in the kingdom of God, our whole mission isn't to attack the prisoner. No, our whole mission is to set the prisoner free. Yeah. So you have to attack the slave uh, driver. You have to attack the demonic forces that are holding them down and that's through prayer and through ministry and and trying to do it that you know working in that way that was, <laughs> that was the apostle paul FaceTime. Was yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so i mean but think about it think about that if you sit there and you look at this this verse let me finish this verse it says everyone yeah. who's love uh, dear friends let us love one another love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god and whoever does not love does not know god mm. because god is 
love. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son. It, now this is written by John the Apostle, who Jesus, who is referred to as the one who lo- Jesus loved, mm-hmm. right? He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son, his son again, to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Mm. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out Mm. fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister among uh, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love his brother and sister. So, and some would argue brother and sister would be like uh, believers in Christ. And certainly that's what he's saying, that we should love our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, of which I would argue that if you have a problem loving um, uh, just the human beings, you probably have a problem loving your brothers and sisters. Because you because when love is in you, when God is in you, you love the object of God's love. And I would love. also say to that, and one of your favorite talking points is, you know, the the Good Samaritan. Yeah. So when the when he gave the you know the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was off of the question, well, who is my neighbor? Right. When he was saying the two commandments is love your God with all your heart, heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was very controversial to, to a, a group of Jewish people. Uh, that hated the Samaritans, and the Jewish people were the the bad guys in this story that he was telling because the high the, the priests overlooked the person that had been beaten and robbed along the road that they yeah. had turned the other way and neglected uh, saving him. But it was the Samaritan that bandaged him, that took him in, that put him up in a hotel and paid for for him and his care. Uh, that was the neighbor in the story that had nothing to do even with the bloodline, but it was the Samaritan that was the neighbor to the... And you know what's interesting? As some would say, see, it was an unbeliever who was doing it. And even in that argument, this is a parable. Jesus Mm -hmm. is telling it. But from this parable, I think Jesus is also sending the message, just because you're Jewish doesn't make you our son. That the Samaritan... Who, who showed the love of God to this man was a son of God, and he was a child of God. And I think geez, what Jesus was saying, and he was kind of opening the door to this, is I'm coming to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you how the Gentiles will demonstrate the love of God to people on earth, not just Jewish people. And you think it can only come through Jews, uh, but... By practice. By, yeah, by, and your rituals and who you are, but it's going to come by the Samaritan who you despise, who, they had who quite frankly, were Jewish. Yeah. Uh, the Samaritans were Jewish. But he was saying it was come through the least of these. Yeah. Well, they had forgotten. The reason is it's not that we're neglecting the Jews or we're having like a bash party on them. Yeah. But what Jesus was coming to correct is they had forgotten their identity, that they were to be a people that was the what? bless the entire world, world, that the prophecy in Joel was that the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh, on the nations. The Jews forgotten their, forgot their mission, that they had, you know, 
bound up the doors that they had separated themselves, which was what they were technically called to do, but they had forgotten the mission and the prophecy and the purpose that God had positioned them with the law to be the behor, to be the older brother, to lead the rest of the world in the ways of God that they had totally forgot. And why would, you know, I found was interesting. One of my favorite stories is Jesus comes to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman, upon understanding who this guy she was talking to was, that this was the Messiah and, and who Jesus revealed himself to be, that I am the one that your ancestors had talked about. I am the one that you are waiting for. And then Jesus says, uh, off of her response, saying that we have been told that, you know, you guys worship, the Jews worship here on this, on there on that mountain, but our ancestors say we worship here on this mountain. And Jesus says, it's not going to be where you worship, but God is looking for the worshipers that worship in spirit and truth, that it won't be a location, but the spirit of God, again, will be poured out on all flesh and we will be the Holy Spirit right. upon his death and resurrection right. where the Spirit of God will but, be given. But it comes back to this, and I think at the core of what we believe yeah. is it, Jesus says, we love to fall in these religious potholes yeah, and and we get stuck. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people get stuck in them. And the, real, the thing that gets you out of all of them is this idea of love. Yeah. You know, God is love. And it's an attitude. It's like generosity. When you're generous, you're not just generous with one area of your life. You're generous with everything. And when you love people, you don't love the, just love the people who do good to you. Yeah. Look at all the divorce in the world. Because we've replaced love. that We, we have de defined love as infatuation. Mm -hmm. What We've defined infatuation, what infatuation is, as love. Well, what does so, Jesus say about love? He says... You love those who love you. Where is the reward in that? The pagans do that. Yeah, right. And he calls them to love their enemies. And that's, I should have put that in my comments yeah. as far as he those says that said love. That. And it's exact. And first of all, that's, but the, the, it says love your enemies. And it's a, it's a funny thing. Like the fact that when you love your enemy, they are no longer an enemy. Yeah. When, when you love somebody, who's doing things that attack you, yeah. they would, in the world's viewpoint, be seen as an enemy. But when you love them, you don't see them as an enemy. You see them as an object of your love. So when Jesus is on the cross and he says to them, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus isn't viewing the, the crucifiers as enemies. He's viewing them as the object of God's love. His way of thinking is viewing the people who are harming him as the object of his love. Like he went to the cross. That's the kind of God love God says we're to show to one another yeah. is when we see people who are trying to harm us or are bound in the prisoner, we see them as a, the object of our love and we don't attack them. We say, God, please forgive them. We pray mm. for them.